You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius podcast. I have Ilyan Ilyev, Assistant Professor of Immunology and Medicine um, at the Weill Cornell Medical College. And we're going to be talking about um, not the microbiome, but the mycobiome, I guess, the fungal microbiome, which will be super interesting. So, Ilyan, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Thank you for the invite, Richard. Yeah, I guess in uh, in multicellular creatures like like us we have a, a microbiome of bacteria we have a microbiome of fungi yeasts and things like that i guess we have a parasite microbiome and maybe a virome as well is that right yes so all those are inside of us or on our bodies uh what we are interested in is more like the single organisms uh, that are out there and fungi are special interest of the lab Okay, so yeah, why this? Uh, what, why your interest in fungi or fungi? Where did you? Where did this come from? So, <laughs> it's very random, as uh, many good things that happen in science. So, uh, I'm a mucosal immunologist. So, I look at the mucosal surfaces. And many years ago, we have been looking before even those deep sequencing methodologies started. So there wasn't a microbiome or anything like that. So we use basically different primers to look for specific bacteria that we know they're in the gut because we isolated them. And we'll look specifically in, uh, in different inflammatory conditions and uh, diseases that uh, target the gastrointestinal tract, such as crosses and ulcerative colitis. So in this set of primers by PCR, we detected basically a fungal message. There was only one pan fungal primer, which people would use actually to look for contaminations in tissue cultures. Uh, so we applied that into, into that context, in, and we found this uh, fungal message constantly coming. So I kind of filed that in my head and then uh, have been doing my research for some years, and uh, the microbiome field started. Uh, so then I uh, moved actually to the U.S., uh, to Los Angeles. And uh, we basically went back to that finding. And we started looking more deeply at what is there uh, and using those deep sequencing technologies. So uh, we looked at uh, a region that is actually specific to fungi. And from there, it all started because that first few sequencing of uh, intestinal specimens actually showed that there is a community of number of different fungi, which arised, as you can imagine, million of questions. So it became very exciting. Mm. And that's how I went in that direction. And now actually all my lab is working on that. So, so what, what creatures have you uh, found a microbiome in? Oh, People so, are you studying or what, what kind of creatures? 
Uh, so we have looked actually in the, uh, our main goal is to look what is in humans, of course, uh, because of the diseases that we are studying in my lab. But we have looked at different creatures. So we looked at uh, many different mammals. We looked at uh, dogs, rabbits, uh, a lot of uh, herbivore animals, pigs, uh, goats, uh Many, many, many animals, actually. So the herbivores, they have a lot, actually, that are coming, a lot of fungi that are coming with the diet. And, of course, we look in mice because those are the models that we use in the lab, uh, and uh, we can uh, target the microbiome there. But it, so you've seen um, that pretty much all creatures have a uh, fungal constituent, a, micro, a microbiome? That's right. That's right. It's very interesting. So uh, some of them, of course, are associated with plants because a lot of fungi are actually on the plant surface and they're uh, in, the, in the roots of the plants. Uh, so that's a mycorrhiza. That's what's called. Uh, so it's a community of fungi that plants use to utilize nutrients, but animals eat those plants. So we can find some of those fungi. But what is more interesting is that we also find fungi that are not associated with plants or the diet. And that's what we are uh, focusing a lot on. Interesting. So um, I know like people get athlete's foot or, you know, I've heard they've got a fungal infection of their nail or, you know, something like that. Um, so maybe that can be recast in the light of, uh, again, we have fungi all the time. Are they, are they throughout our entire body, you think? Or are they in just a few select areas like bacteria? I mean, bacteria are supposedly everywhere in our body, but are fungi as well? Uh, that's right. So, uh, on the, for example, on the feet, that community is very well studied because of the uh, uh, infections that happen. And uh, some other fungi are very well studied at different parts of the body uh, because they call to very obvious infections. What's, uh, what hasn't been studied, though, are the fungi in the gut because they don't lead to an infection that can be just easily detected. Uh, the gut is not accessible and fungi were not looked in the gut. So that's the area where we mainly focused and that's where we found this very wide community. But you're right, fungi are covering all our body surfaces and as a mucosal immunologist, I'm interested in all of them because as we will probably talk about later in our conversation, one side of the body can prime another side of the body and where the organisms are and where the priming is happening uh, is something very important to understand. This sounds worse to me, I guess, on a, on a, on a gross level, because, you know, be, me being full of bacteria is one thing, but when I think of fungi, I think of like spores and, you know, hyphae and mats of growth and mushrooms. And I mean, I know it probably doesn't go that far, but I mean, well, <laughs> bacteria, maybe it does. I don't know. Bacteria make biofilms. I mean, what do fungi do inside of us? Right. So a lot of it we don't understand, but it's definitely not gross. Uh, so we have a lot of images in the gut and it's actually more structured than a gross picture. But imagine you are eating bread, you're eating cheese, you probably enjoy wine. So they're, you know, they're yeast components in all those foods. They're, you know, the beer, the you start fermenting those uh, those foods, basically. So it's not that horrible as one would imagine. But um, so what is in the gut is very interesting, and uh, uh, how those organisms actually survive in such a harsh environment. Uh, if you think of uh, 
you know, food products where fermentation is occurring. Those are not such a complex system, but in the gut where you have very hostile environment, you have a lot of bacteria that will compete. You have anaerobic uh, uh, situation where uh, not a lot of, uh, where oxygen is actually not getting in. So how fungal organism will survive there? So those are very interesting questions. That's very fascinating about the microbiome. Are there uh, aerobic and anaerobic fungi? Or is it not classified like that? Yeah, they are. They are. So uh, in humans, we haven't seen actually uh, typical anaerobic uh, fungi, but uh, some of them are known to be in the ruminant animal's stomach. So basically cows, they have few stomachs, and one of those stomachs is actually fermenting uh, uh, a lot of uh, plants and cellulose. So that's where you can find uh, anaerobic fungi. In our gut, uh, fungi are aerobic and facultative uh, aerobes. So uh, they, they, it's more complicated, yes. Yeah, I, um, I know this guy, he's a DUI lawyer, and he sent me an article about auto brewer's syndrome. I guess like some <laughs> people, they, they took antibiotics and it allowed yeast to grow in their guts and the yeast would ferment you know, sugars and carbohydrates and stuff and make them drunk. <laughs> that's correct that's actually real i use it sometimes as a way can I call in my lectures <laughs> to the students uh, but there are people that actually have that and there are some reports yes uh so basically fungi are embedded uh probably in their stomach mucosa of what uh, some of those reports are actually saying but we never had a patient like that so i cannot really tell but uh, yes, fermentation occurs when they consume sugars or even bread. Uh, so they have to be very careful. But it's very small population, <laughs> but funny one. Yeah, interesting. So what, what kind of structures do uh, fungi make inside of uh, creatures? Well, so the way they live... Uh, they're a single cell organisms, but of course they can embed into biofilms. So uh, they're very, very good examples for biofilms, for example, on infected skin, where also fungi can form them, and they form those matrices where the bacteria are actually embedded. Uh, there is a similar situation in some patients with uh, disease called cystic fibrosis in the lung, but in the gut, uh, we have done a lot of microscopy and many others have done it. Uh, so we don't see actually those biofilms or uh, they're just not easily detectable in the gut. What we see in the gut is those patches basically of fungal cells that are embedded in the microbiome. So they're part of the microbiome, right? So they're, we see them immersed uh, in that mixture of bacteria and other substrates that are in the gut. And we see them in very close uh, association with the mucus. Uh, so the mucosa is uh, oh, basically, the mucus is uh, very close to the epithelial cells. So that's how all that connection probably is happening. So we investigate those processes. Do you think that uh, fungi help establish a niche for bacteria inside of us? Yeah, this is very... They, they work close together? Yeah, this is very interesting, uh, you know, branch of uh, this type of science. So uh, certainly they're examples of uh, fungal bacterial interactions and very well so in the nature and in the soil where uh, some fungi produce antibiotics and create uh, their own space in the bacterial niche or vice versa. Some bacteria can affect the fungi or uh, some, some, in some organisms, for example, their ants that are uh, basically 
using the fungi to ferment their own food. So that's where uh, basically bacteria and fungal uh, species are found in this uh, uh, coexistence, which is beneficial. So how is that working in the gut is very interesting. And it's also a very complex question. So we are approaching that uh, question from a few different angles to uh, start gaining basically more information. If you think uh, that you have different species and uh, even strains of fungi that are very interesting and they're embedded in the bacteria, who will interact with who? Uh, you cannot predict that in such a complex system. So you can uh, we are starting to learn more about the genetic information those organisms uh, carry with them and uh, probably products that they can produce to uh, signal to bacteria or to basically uh, get bacteria out. So this is basically the current approach, uh, but uh, it's a very exciting field. Many um, There is a lot of potential there, I think. Well, what would be a good model to study all these interactions? You know, what about plants? I guess in their roots, they have you know, these nodules that are full of bacteria, but they also have fungi that interact with them. I mean, are they a good model to study this or are people better or mice? Or? So, 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 yeah, plants are a great model. So, and they are studied extensively uh, because of, uh, of, uh, of uh, agricultural science and now because of the carbon capture, which can be captured by basically in those fungi in the, in the uh, plants of the roots. And uh, there is a lot of research on that, uh, this very interesting perspective. But from our point of view, this is not the model that we are pursuing because uh, we are more interested actually what is in the gut of the patients. We are not even looking in a classical infection or in a classical symbiosis situation. We are looking at a situation where different individuals come here with different type of uh, fungal communities. Uh, so, uh, but some of them uh, have a disease and some of them do not. Uh, so uh, we have to get down to uh, strain and species level uh, to understand what is going on there. And from there, we have to link it to the patient condition and look how uh, that is influencing their disease. So uh, plants are a good model, but not for what we are doing. So our angle is a bit different, but yes, a lot of groups are interested in uh, plants uh, associated with fungi. So what are some of the specific fungi that you found inside of, uh, I mean, are you, again, are you studying people or are you doing with mice and what specific uh, creatures have you found and what, what appears to be their function? Yeah, so uh, in humans, we have found a lot of different fungi in different individuals. But what sticks as something very consistent is that uh, candida species are very prevalent in the human population. And some of them expand in patients with inflammatory bowel disease. So this is basically the focus. And those organisms, so we use deep sequencing technology so we can look at the DNA, but uh, DNA can be coming from anywhere. So if you have fungus that is coming from the food but not sticking out there, you will detect the DNA. But uh, uh, when we link that to more complex system where we actually work with the life fungi we are getting from those uh, human, uh, from those individuals and from spacemen from those individuals, that's where the picture becomes more comprehensive. But uh, I have, you know, short uh, answer to your question. Yes, candida species are the most prevalent species in the gut of the human population across many different studies, including our own research. What do you think they're doing? Are they producing beneficial metabolites that are food for bacteria, for our cells? Are they, maybe they're helping to digest things that bacteria and our cells cannot? 
Uh, so candida species are less interesting in terms of a secondary metabolites. So if you think, for example, of penicillin, where the penicillin is coming from, or other filamentous fungi such as aspergillus, they produce a lot of secondary metabolites. They have that program, uh, and uh, and those secondary metabolites uh, can have different antibacterial functions and so on. But if you look at candida species, they actually carry a program that makes them very good survivals in harsh environments. And I don't know if evolutionary because of that or because of something else, they have dropped a lot of, uh, they, they basically lack a lot of genes uh, for secondary metabolites. So, uh, but of course they produce metabolites because they have to live. Uh, so it might be that they produce metabolites that are more similar to our own uh, systems and interfere with that. Another way they interact is directly basically interacting with immune cells and that's the way how they prime our immune system and uh, we basically have been looking for cells that are interacting with fungi and that was something we discovered uh, a couple of years ago, a population of cells that is directly sensing fungi and can uptake them. So it can be direct interaction and more indirect interaction uh, mixture of that is probably where the truth is. And if you put the other level of complication, which you also inferred to uh, basically how bacteria and fungi live together, and there might be ecological competition and all that, there is evidence for that. So, you know, the picture is basically more complex, but those three major components are basically what are shaping uh, that community to live there, to stay there, and to influence host health and disease. Well, I would think that if... Um... This is just my speculation, but if, if fungi are only found in a few places on our body, for instance, that would say, okay, maybe they have limited function. But if they're found everywhere, like bacteria are, that would mean to me that they have many, many functions that we may not even know about. Like, you know, in, you know when I go to the bathroom, are there any fungi in my pee versus, you know, if I poop? Poop, probably yes. Pee, I don't know. What about if I sneeze or if I, in my mouth, do I have fungi there that are you know, part of my microbiome, is it everywhere? Right, right, right. So, yeah, so there are fungi in the mouth, there are fungi in the intestines, and there are certainly fungi in the poop, and uh, some of that is coming also from the diet. Uh, so, uh, you know, in the urine, depends, some patients actually can develop fungal infection, uh, infections, and we are studying uh, some phenomena like that. So, we detect fungal DNA is uh, is that actually active fungi that are proliferating and living there is uh, the key to understand how is that um, influencing those uh, humans that have those infections. But yes, so fungi are all around. Uh, and if you think about that, right, so uh, we have patient populations and I will tell you more about like a specific study that we have done, but uh, you know, that there are specific population of patients and subclasses of those patients that uh, where we have evidence that fungi might be actually uh, uh, part of that pathophysiological pr process in those individuals. But if you think for the global population, if so many of us and also many animals carry fungi and they're normally associated with our, uh, with our body surfaces. So, there might be another side of the story where fungi actually have beneficial role uh, for the host. And uh, we have few studies, but they are for now only in mice. So if we basically treat mice uh, with antifungal drug for a long time and uh, induce basically 
antifungal drug resistance. So uh, f- uh, fungi that are resistant to specific drugs, they will expand. We can see that uh, those animals develop more severe intestinal inflammation and also uh, uh, inflammation in the gut distal sites, such as the lung. So that's something very uh, amazing from an immunological point of view. Uh, how one organism that is in one site can affect actually immunity at other sites. So there are many different ways we probably play with fungi, and so much is unknown. It's a very exciting field to be in. Yeah. What? So what are the, some of the uh, specific experiments or research that you're doing? So some of the. So, so there is something very exciting. So for some time, we of course a lot of uh, antifungal receptors have been known. Uh, because of uh, yeah, the field of mycology and infectious diseases and fungal immunology, which would explore basically a situation where fungi would infect uh, the host. So uh, humans that are defective in specific proteins and, uh, and genes, uh, they, they would be more susceptible to fungal infections. Uh, but in the gut, we have been looking at what cells actually would would detect the fungi, what cells would be actually carrying uh, those specific receptors and have the capacity to interact with fungi. So uh, about two years ago, we found a population of cells that express uh, a chemokine receptor called CX3C1. But uh, that receptor actually have nothing to do with fungi. So we went to explore deeper, and it turned out that those uh, cells are expressing a number of different molecules that are important for recognition of fungi. And those cells can actively actually engulf phagocytos, uh, the fungi in the gut. So uh, from there, we went into a patient population of patients with uh, intestinal disease called uh, Crohn's disease, which is uh, quite prevalent actually in our society. And it's a lifelong disease, chronic, uh, very difficult to treat. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of flares, even if it's treated, and a lot of patients don't respond to uh, medications. So in those patients, uh, we found a mutation for the gene for this chemokine receptor, 6301. one And the patient that had this mutation lost a function allele, basically. They uh, lost their ability to produce antifungal antibodies. So it's a small population inside of the IBD population, uh, of Crohn's disease population. But uh, are those the patients that actually are deficient in their ability to generate response to fungi? So should we treat that type of patients with antifungal drugs as a co-therapy for their intestinal inflammation? So you see, it's very interesting. It's very complex. It's not a classical infection that we are talking about, but it's more like a crosstalk between uh, fungal organisms and the host immune system. So that was one example, very exciting uh, findings that we have had and we are pursuing in that direction. Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, fungi, the only time I've ever heard about them in the body is in terms of infection. I've never heard about them being talked about as being commensal. And, you know, like just like in the in bacteria, you know, if someone has antibiotics and then let's say seeds of the seal takes over, um, you know, does the same thing happen with fungi? You know, if someone has a, a yeast infection, is that because it's an infection or is that because they had that yeast the whole time? And for some reason, it was just able to grow out of control. Uh, So it depends on the context. So in patients that are, for example, uh, that have been treated with antibiotics for a long time, uh, depletion of of specific populations of bacteria can lead to expansion of specific fungi. And that's a documented phenomenon in both mice and humans. 
uh, in patients that are also immunosuppressed, so bone marrow transplant patients and so on, the gut can be, for example, decide from where uh, fungi transfer systemically and they lead to deadly infections. So uh, we carry those organisms, they are commensals, uh, but in certain situations they can be deadly. Uh, in other situations, they can be doing something that we don't know. So in the, in the context of inflammatory bowel disease, nobody actually gets this systemic fungal infection. Nobody dies from uh, fungal infection there. But uh, fungi expand in the gut, and we have a lot of evidence now that they're priming basically the immune system. And priming the immune system in a situation of inflammation is something certainly not good. Uh, so uh, is that actually specific? Fungi that are transferring, is that even specific strains that are transferring from one human to another, or are they just living there? So those are very important questions to answer in terms to actually develop uh, uh, future therapeutics in that area. Is there a lot of interest in this area, or is all the interest being sucked up by bacteria right now? A lot of interest is sucked up by bacteria, but actually there is growing interest in fungi now, and uh, more and more uh, uh you know, groups that are doing traditional research in bacteria or immunology are also interested now in fungi. Uh, we and others developed a lot of tools actually to work in this area. So I think the most interesting discoveries will just uh, happen in the next years. Uh, the more the merrier, basically. So there is interest. Uh, less interest actually on the, uh, on the industry side, but... Uh, because those things, they, they usually lag, right? Uh, so that will come as well, I believe. I don't know. If you were to look at bacteria versus fungi, uh, do bacteria have a more privileged place or do they seem to have more effect in the humans, for instance, versus fungi? Or it's just, you can't really say that. They just both have their own effects. I mean, yeah, so one more important than the other. Right. So if you look globally, right, uh, fungi as a, a kingdom and bacteria as a kingdom, of course, the bacteria are more, for example, in the gut. But uh, what we are learning is that actually we need those bacteria. They're not bad for us. So they're bad players, which are basically uh, specific uh, species and even strains, not all the uh, same species actually carry genes that will be, uh, that will be detrimental. It's certain strains that, for example, can acquire antibiotic resistance gene and then uh, that's a problem during uh, disease. So it's very similar, I think, for the fungi. So they are uh, just, we don't know it yet. So that's where we are actually diving right now uh, to basically distinguish what uh, species and what specific strains are actually detrimental. Uh, so you, you cannot tell it's basically all the fungi or all the bacteria. They're there is uh, something that is less mythological, if you if you wish. Uh, there there is actually a carrier of uh, phenotype in many cases. So uh, it, it's more complex because it's a community. So one change can lead to a number of changes downstream. But what is the primary cause is something that's very important. And I think here a lot will be basically uh, specific organisms. It wouldn't be as mythological as uh, broad as you know the microbiome or the microbiome. It will be specific organisms and specific pathways and uh, genetic capabilities that they carry with. Is it, um, I, I don't really know much about uh, fungi at all. I mean, what is it, what are their cells like? Do they have it's their own DNA and have they been yeah. sequenced? Is it hard to sequence them? Yeah, so, so the cells are actually bigger. Uh, they're from 10 to 100 times bigger uh, than a bacterial cell. 
and they carry very rigid cell walls. So it's uh, hard to extract the fungal DNA from there. But, uh, you know, the field is getting in that direction. So now uh, the microbiome studies, uh, number of groups now are actually doing also the specific fungal extraction. So they don't want to, to miss that information because that's actually the microbiome, right? You cannot miss such an important component. Uh, so uh, the cells are bigger. The cells are very interesting because they have specific polymers. And there is a repertoire of human and uh, mammalian receptors that can recognize actually those different components. And if you go evolutionary down and you go, uh, if you go to plants, if you go to lower organisms, uh, all of those actually have some type of systems and receptors that can recognize fungal components. So you can see how evolutionary actually fungi are very important for immunity or protection or sensing by organisms. So uh, they're bigger cells, they're very interesting cells, they can produce a lot of secondary metabolites, and they uh, have specific cell walls. So from immunological perspective, it's also very interesting, because you're actually now tapping on pathways that are not uh, that commonly activated by bacteria. Uh, and that's also our hope, that's what we are trying to track in the host to actually understand when antifungal immunity is actually on. And uh, in mice, we can do it. The challenge is in humans, and uh, that's where we are going. Very interesting. So what's the best way for people to learn more? I mean, it's not, you know, again, I don't know much. I've talked to a lot of people, but people listening, same thing. So what's yeah. your recommendation on uh, how they can learn more? Uh, so people should look actually in, uh, in specific, uh, uh, I don't know, they should basically look uh, into into the main literature, or nowadays I actually see more and more reports in uh, in uh, in journals, in articles for fungi that are basically not just pure scientific information, but more digestible for the general audience. And uh, in the, all the groups, they have their websites, and every every one of us is trying now to communicate science to the broader audience. And I hope uh, people can learn more. Uh, by this approach. But again, uh, all the space is flooded by information about the microbiome and uh, it's getting there that basically it sounds that the microbiome is involved in everything and people start actually losing interest because if they say, okay, I have any disease, it's probably also microbiome related, but uh, people should look actually for more specific information and that's where the jam is actually. So that's what I think. I guess if people knew the actual complexity of what's going on, I mean, they know. They just, just can't look at it all. It's like so overwhelming. Yes, yes, freak, yes. Freak out and not do any science. You know, so you have to <laughs> yeah, it's a, your eyes. Right, right. But it's not about the scientists. The scientists, uh, each one is having a preferred area and they are actually very, uh, uh, they are di diving deeply into the problems in that area. It's more about, uh, you know, the general uh, uh, public. So uh, how, how do you basically understand the microbiome? What do you know about it? It's not that, okay, the microbiome is involved in heart disease, in IBD, and all those diseases, but, you know, what are the components of the microbiome? What is the new science that is coming? You know, that microbi microbiome is involved in everything. That's an old news. So now we have to know where specifically and how. So that's where I think the field is heading uh, towards. Very good, Ilya. Thank you for coming, and I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Rich. That was a pleasure.
You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.